Good morning, church. It is so good to see all of you. I see a lot of new faces, and I see a lot of faces I've not seen in in a minute. It's good to have you here. I love you guys so much. Uh, Welcome home. If this is your first or second time, my name is Trey. My wife, Carrie, and I are the senior pastors, and uh, you belong here. No matter where you are in your your stage of life, if, if you don't even believe, if you don't even behave, you still belong here. We love you guys so much, and uh, I believe that today is going to be an incredible 29-minute sermon. Uh, I'm going to ask that you partner with me today in what God wants to deliver to us. Let's stand to our feet and go to Scripture, Luke chapter 5. We're in an uncomfortable series. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gisinaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge that there were two boats left left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, I ask that you would just release your glory among us in increasing measure. God, that we would encounter the impossible, the unexplainable today. God, that there would be shifts in our heart, that there would be progress in our steps. God, that there would be acceleration and manifestation in the promises and the things that we have been holding on to. God, that you would settle among us, God, not so that we could become comfortable, so that we could become uncomfortable. God, stir our spirits today. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say amen. Amen. Uh, Before you sit down, I want you to meet somebody new, give somebody a hug, high five. There are a lot of new guests today, all beautiful people, then you may sit down.
over the last seven, eight, nine days, I have decided to uh, check into new electricity. And I, I felt like, you know, I'd been with this company since 2015. It was time for me to find uh, a new deal, a better deal, because what tends to happen is they take advantage of your partnership. They just assume that you're going to stay with them over the long haul, and they raise your rates thinking you're not going to check it out. But fool me once, fool me twice, fool me for five years, I'm over it. So I check into insurance, and I, insurance into electricity, and, and I found this company that I'm going to uh, be very happy with, I think, at least for the next 12 months. I was with Company A, and Company A this past week auto-debited my account for the month of uh, July $505 for electricity. Right. That's what I thought. Um, they charged, I don't know what the, the current rate was that they were charging me, but I just know $505, that's a problem. And so I found this other company, it's Company B. And, and Company B does this, they give me free electricity starting at 9 p.m. all the way till 7 a.m. It's totally free electricity, here's the catch. During the day, starting from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., you pay double electricity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's okay, because I got them figured out. You see, what I've done is I've decided to uh, keep my AC really high during the day, you know, 78, 79, 80, whatever. A and then I moved my pool pump, my pool pump, which runs about 10 to 11 hours a day. Instead of doing it during the daytime, I do it at night. So at 9.01, that baby is burning. And it's been awesome. Let me just tell you, for the last three days, I've been like a nerd. And I've been every, every twice a day at 7 a.m. and at 9 p.m. You'll see me with my phone. If you know where I live and you stalk me, you would see me outside taking a photo of the meter. And then I go back to my computer and I created a little spreadsheet with all of these formulas, you know, like D1 times 0.169 divided by 30, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I've tracked it. Now, I, I measured it before we switched over to company B. And during the day, I was spending 80 kilowatts, right? 80 kilowatt hours of electricity. That is what was giving me a $505 bill. Well, now that I've made some modifications, modified the lifestyle of the Rose family just a bit. Hey, kids, no, you're not going to do laundry now. Wait till 9. Just, just a little bit. Um, I've now got it down to during the day, I'm only using 30 kilowatt hours a day. And at night, the AC is set to 68 degrees. And I use approximately 80 kilowatt hours. Now, those of you who are worried about my carbon footprint. You mind your own. I'll mind mine. <laughs> and I'm just saying, I'm, I'm doing better. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm trying. But this, this new technique of free electricity at night and then only 30 during the day, using the same amount of electricity with this new program, shifting things that are convenient just a little bit, that $505 payment will go down to $156. I don't know why you're clapping. It's my money. It's not you're going in your pocket, but I got an extra $400 to use, using the same electricity, just a little bit different time. I think that proves to us that partnership matters. Partnering with the right things, corporations, organizations, people, ideas, 
emotions matter. I happen to believe that God wants to do something really big in your life. I hope that you believe that too. I hope that you're partnering with this, this notion that God has tremendous plans for your life, not just an average life. God didn't call you to live a mediocre life. God called you to walk in greatness. I hope you're partnering with that idea instead of the idea of how do I just get through today? Because it matters what you partner with. What God is about to release in your life is bigger than you. It's bigger than what you can carry. It's bigger than what you've imagined and bigger than what you've thought. And of course, of course, because it's bigger than you, the enemy wants to make Christian community awkward and tense and uncomfortable. He wants to cause you and I to feel isolated and lonely and from a distance of the church community because he understands something that many of us haven't yet gotten. That our degree of partnership in Christian community determines our degree of harvest from kingdom and from heaven. Partnership matters. We see here in the story, Luke chapter 5, that Jesus is standing by the, by the lake. It's a crowded place and he has to go out in the boat and he teaches from the boat. This is whenever he's calling his disciples. He has no team at this point. But he understands that even though he is the Son of God, all authority on heaven and earth is given to him, he understands one very important concept. He can't accomplish his mission alone. There's power in partnership. This is why Jesus builds a team. This is exactly why the enemy wants you and I to feel isolated, alone, lonely, unfruitful, because he understands that loneliness produces barrenness. Mary said, how can it be that I'm with child? I've never been with a man. How can it be that I have offspring, that I produce fruit because I am alone? I'm not in relationship. You see, fruit, it's a kingdom principle. Fruit flows out of relationship. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created Adam and Eve, he took a rib from Adam and he made Eve. So he took something from within Adam, and then Adam had to partner with something outside of himself that he could identify as part of himself before they could ever produce fruit together. Before they could ever walk in the dominion that God had created for them, there had to be identification and partnership. Partnership matters. And it doesn't just work in the biology realm of life. It's in the plant kingdom as well. Bees go from flower to flower to flower, getting pollen from one flower to another. Why? Not because they just like the smell of flowers. They do that because there's something intrinsically designed inside of them that if they're going to pollinate one flower to another, that's how they make more flowers. It's called cross-pollination. Without cross-pollination, there is no fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. That, that's a thing that determines our level of ma maturity. Without relationship with Holy Spirit, without a give and take of us and Holy Spirit, there is no fruit in our life that is developed. We, we may look like a beautiful, strong, healthy tree with tons of leaves and lots of shade, but without the interaction of relationship, that tree will bear no fruit. Fruit. 
Fruit is the result of relationships. Jesus taught it right from the start as he built his team. He went from place to place. I'll take, I'll take you too. I'll take you. How about you leave everything and follow me? Hey, why don't you leave everything and follow me? He understood the power of relationship and that to build the kingdom, it had to be done in relationship. That's one thing the enemy is, is trying desperately to fight in the local church, to trickle down into the global church, the effectiveness of the church. It's called unity. Unity is probably the number one thing the enemy wants to come against. Why? Because he knows that Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. So he wants to break up those relationships. He wants to cause questions and doubt and insecurity from brother to brother, sister to sister, brother to sister, sister to brother, parent to kid. He wants to create disunity because he understands if I can get into the relationships, I can cause the church to be barren. What good is it for a church to look beautiful but to have no offspring? In order for a church to stand, there has to be unity, not just anointing. Unity. Not just healings. Unity. Not just powerful prophetic words. Unity. Not just good worship. Unity. Not just good children's ministry. Unity. Are you with me? Not just padded chairs. Unity. Not good lights. Unity. Not good sound. Unity. Not diversity in people. Unity. It has to be un- not great preaching by a good-looking pastor. Unity. We preachers, we love preaching, by the way. Man, we just think that the answer to all of life's problems and all of the church problems is in our preaching. People aren't showing up. Preach on evangelism. Preaching is the answer. People aren't giving. Preach on stewardship. People aren't serving. Preach on servanthood. I mean, I, I love to preach and do follow what God is doing in the local church, but the reality is I can have the best preaching in the world, and if there's not unity in the house, we will divide and not stand. The enemy understands that any fruit that is ever produced flows out of relationship. Relationship. So Jesus, he walks up and he sees these fishermen What does the Bible say they're doing? It says they're mending their nets. They had fished all night, caught nothing, and now they're they're, uh, washing their nets, cleaning the nets, fixing the nets, mending the nets. Here's here's a point that I hope you write down, and you remember this, that your downtime is your prep time. Your downtime is your prep time. You know, there was a a moment where Jesus said, hey, cast, cast your nets out into the water. And there's a very precise way you do that. You fold it a certain way and you throw it out so that when you you throw it, it spreads out and it lands evenly on the water and then it's weighted down and it trickles down. It captures the fish and it's tied just right and you pull it up to get the catch. But you can't stitch a net while you're throwing it. You have to wash a net and stitch a net before you're in the boat ready to use the net. Your downtime is not your cry time. Your downtime is your prep time. Are you with me, church? Yeah. It's your downtime where, where faith comes alive and it's activated. That, that moment when you feel like God's not seen you, God's not heard you, God's not prepared a way for you. 
that moment where you feel like God's not prospering you to the degree which you feel like you should be prospering, that's called downtime. And let me just remind you that your downtime is your prep time. Your downtime is your faith activating time. It, it's, it's easy to forget how important faith is when everything's going so well. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Faith is activated in the not seen part. You don't sit down at a buffet that's already been paid for and then pray for faith that food might show up. You might pray for faith that you can digest all that you're about to consume, but you don't pray for food, it's already there. It's in the downtime when we allow faith to rise within us. That moment when we feel like we're not walking out our purpose. That moment when we feel like that we've been overlooked. We allow faith to rise inside of us. Faith in failure is most important, not faith in success. I need faith for what I can't see, and they were fishing at night. You know, David, David couldn't fight with the weapons that they threw his way. You know, David and Goliath and they, they threw some armor. It would have been good for him to wear. It would have protected him. But he threw the armor off because he hadn't practiced in the armor. He understood the value of downtime, prep time. Not trying to show up to a battle all of a sudden with all of this armor that you've not used outside of the battle. Even something that's good in your life, if it's not been used in the downtime, when it's, when it's time to use in the battle, something good can be your distraction. David understood this. Even in the downtime, the Lord uses correction in our life to prepare us for the battle. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 8, I think, talks about the difference between a son. King James uses a, a fun word, but I'll use illegitimate child. The difference between a son and an illegitimate child is one that can endure correction and not run. That's called downtime. It's not fun. It's, it's not fun. You ever just been in a situation, I know that I have, and you're like, God, I, I just don't enjoy this scenario. It doesn't even make me feel good about me. I have, I have thoughts, and I have frustrations, and I have, you know, shortness of temper, and when I put myself in that situation, I don't even like me. How do I expect other people to like me? So, God, I just want to run away from that situation. But God says, this is your downtime. This is your preparation. I understand it's not comfortable. It wasn't meant to be comfortable. It was meant to be producing something in your life. Do you want fruit or not? You can, by the way, it's your choice. God's not going to force you to have fruit. He's not. You can have beautiful leaves all day long and enjoy the breeze and the shade all day long without fruit, and God will allow that to happen in your life. He's just that good that he will give you the level of goodness that you're requesting. But if you want fruit, it's going to require relationship. I know a lot of us have this mentality of, God and me, we're good. Me and God, we're good. That's great. But it's time to go to the next level and develop relationship, develop community, develop kingdom so that God can produce fruit in your life. Your downtime is your prep time. Some of us, some of us sometimes we whine. And, and bless Facebook. It, hasn't Facebook just given us permission to whine a little bit more? 
than maybe we normally would. Isn't it true? I see several people laughing. I know that's the case for me. It's like, it's asking me what I think. What's on my mind? I'll tell you. <laughs> maybe Facebook should say, what should you not say? Or what should be said publicly? I don't know. I don't know. I've been there, though. I've been like, Lord, why? Why, why, why haven't I gotten to this season, this, this part of my life that I know you've promised? I, I'm supposed to be there already. How many of you have thought that? I'm supposed to be there already. But guess what? If you're supposed to be there already, you'd be there already. Can I say that one more time? God, I, I'm supposed to be there already. And the Lord says, if you were supposed to be there, do you not think that I am able to have you standing there in this very moment. If you're not standing there, you're not supposed to be there because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I don't care what he said about you. I don't care what she said about you. If you were supposed to be there, you would be there. <sighs> so the reality of life once again gets to slap me upside the face and I get to just trust the Lord one more time. In the downtime, the prep time. I love how Jesus asked for his boat. He said, can I, can I use your boat? And Simon Peter says, yeah, take it. I don't know why he said, yeah, maybe he was just generous. I, I don't know that I picture Simon Peter as a generous guy. Maybe he was tired of the boat. He was like, it didn't work for me last night. Take it. Maybe he thought Jesus would talk a little and then help him wash the nets while he's in the boat. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Whenever you give God a boat, you get back a full net. Point number two, leverage what you have for what you need. You have a boat, but you have no fish. You have time, but you have no job. You have Money, but you have no friends. You have a car, but no place to go. You have hungry kids, but no food in the pantry. Leverage what you have for what you need. Everything God gave you is a tool to get what you need. Listen. Everything already inside of your hands, everything that you own, everything that you have, everything that you, that you have at your disposal can produce what it is that you've been praying for. You've been praying for a cake and you've been looking for something with icing. And you say, God, you're not giving it to me. And he opens the door and he says, do you see the flour? Do you see the eggs? Do you see the milk? Do you see the blender? Everything that you need is already in your hands. You see, he showed us from Genesis on that which was within Adam became exactly what he needed to be fruitful. Leverage what you have to get what you need. When God answers your prayer, he generally doesn't give you what you asked for. He gives you what it takes to get what you asked for. You prayed for oak trees and you're holding acorns thinking God's not listening. The Bible says, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe that you have received it and you will have it. Is that interesting to everyone that that's past tense? Whenever you pray, 
for something you desire, believe that you have received it already. Not believe that it's going to come your way. Not, oh, just one more month, Jesus, then you're going to have it to me. Lord, just one more year, then it's going to be here. Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe in your heart that you have received it, and it will be yours. Maybe gratitude is the key. Maybe gratitude is the key of of understanding what we currently have and, and how the Lord wants to use what we have to bring what we've asked for and what we need. Maybe we're not... Maybe we've not been grateful for what we currently possess, and because of that, we have limited heaven's ability to multiply what we have to get what we need. After all, could Jesus not hand out fish and loaves of bread before he blessed what wasn't enough and it became what was more than enough? It is through gratefulness and gratitude that the Lord multiplies what we have. Look at your neighbor and say, I sure am quiet today. Point number three. Past patterns are not always predictions. Past patterns are not always predictions. I understand this whole notion of insanity. Okay? I get it. Insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and expecting different results. Right? I get that. I believe in this. No, you, you know, you sit on your couch all day long and you don't go look for a job. You can't be surprised that you don't have income. Right? You don't talk to your kids, uh, have conversation with them, except just to elevate your voice and scream at them. Then it, it shouldn't be surprising that you don't have a relationship that's healthy with them. Right? You never see anything that's good in a situation. You always see what's wrong and you pick it apart and you add even more fuel to the fire, you shouldn't be surprised that people don't really want to be around you. Am I right? Like, doing the same thing over and over, typically we, we know as insanity. But what I would like to suggest to you today is that sometimes doing the same thing over and over again is called faithfulness. When Elisha told Naaman to dip in the Jordan seven times and he would be healed, I wonder if on time six he thought he just might be insane. One, two, no healing. Three, no healing. Four, no healing. Five, water up my nose. Six, I might be insane. Seven, breakthrough. Not always is the past pattern a prediction of what's to come. Guess what? That person that hurt you, it's okay to trust again. Because not everyone is out to get you. I, I, know, I know that it feels sometimes like everyone's out to get you and everyone's not out to get you, I promise you. No, most people aren't even thinking about you. I'm sorry to break the news. Most people don't think about me. Like, that's just the reality. People are too consumed with their own lives and their own stuff. No one's really out to get you. Most people are just trying to get out of the hole they've created for themselves. Am I right? You were hurt. It's, it's okay. Trust again. You made, that, you made that poor decision. I get it. You repented. You moved on. I get it. Move on. Move on. Cut the cords. Like, leave that behind you. It's, it's time for so many of us to allow the past to stop haunting us in the present and stop limiting the future. Past patterns are not always accurate predictions. 
In fact, we see here Peter, he didn't catch anything at night. And now he doesn't have faith to throw the nets. He really doesn't. He's like, well, fine, I'll throw the nets. Peter's experience has now become his problem, not the lack of fish. Maybe your past experience is your problem, not your current situation. Just because it didn't work tonight doesn't mean it won't work in the morning. This is one of the reasons why you and I give up too soon. And I just want to encourage somebody here today to go one more day. Come on, give Jesus one more day, one more opportunity, one more moment of faithfulness, one more moment of commitment, one more moment of trust, one more conversation, one more prayer, just one more, and it might be the one that you need for breakthrough. Point number four. Prosperity will break your net, not your neck, your net. Prosperity will break your net. Many of us are praying for prosperity, longing for prosperity, needing desperately for prosperity. But let me just tell you, your nets can't handle what God wants to get to you. By the way, when I talk about prosperity, I'm not talking about your Wells Fargo account. I'm not talking about First National Bank or Chase, your debit card. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a life of prosperity where you are overflowing with joy, where you can actually have crisis come your way and it not consume you, where, where things can happen and it not ruin your day where your dog can wake you up seven minutes before your alarm clock goes off and you're not totally angry the rest of the day. That's a prosperous life. Prosperity can be seen in the small things long before it ever shows up in your bank account. Prosperity in your mind, mental, mental health. I know a couple days ago, Carrie uh, woke up to go somewhere, got in her car, and her car wouldn't start at all. It was dead. And so she took my Suburban, and I think she was going to the gym. She was going to work out. And so I was like, okay, I'll rearrange my day. Thankfully, it was my day kind of off. And so I was able to go take, get a new battery, got a five-year replacement battery, put that bad boy in the car, and it started right up. I was just like, yes, I am the man. I am the man. And so, anyway, I let her know that it was working. She gets back, and we're doing stuff around the house, and it's time for her to go somewhere else, and I'm about to go somewhere. We're about to do different things. And she leaves. She's gone for a few minutes, and then she's FaceTiming me. And I'm kind of excited because this five-year battery I got, it's like a lot of power. And I could just tell when I started the car, it was going to be like, you know? And I was hoping she was calling to say, oh, man, I love this battery. And... um, guy can hope. So she FaceTimes me and, and she's like, hey. And I'm like, hey, baby. And she goes, I'm sitting in the driveway. The car won't start. And I'm like, come get my keys. You can take my Suburban. And I go out there and I look at the car and because I'm a dude, um, I lifted the hood and I stood there a minute so the neighbors would think I'm doing something. 
But all I knew how to do is replace the battery. So it's beyond my level of expertise. So I've got to tow it to somebody this week. On Monday, I'm going to tow it. I haven't had time. I've just been swamped and busy back to back running. But here's what I have had. I've had a Suburban filled with my family. Everywhere any one of us have to go, we all go because we got one car. And it's been fun. Like, I'm not saying that sarcastically. It's been fun. It's made life a little more simple. It's made us do the things that we have to do rather than everybody running different places. I get to have conversations with my wife in the, the suburban on the way to wherever it is that she's scheduled for her to go or me to go. It's been fun. That's called a prosperous life. With the broken car, being able to enjoy the circumstance of my current reality, seeing the hand of God at my life. You know what? I know I've only got one car right now, but inside that car is a healthy family. It's relationships where there's not this tension where we're not talking. We're not arguing with each other. We're, we're not mad. We're not resenting the fact that we have to be three feet apart from each other. I call that a prosperous life. But you better get ready for what God wants to do in your life because your current net can't handle it. How do I know that? Because God says he wants to do immeasurably more than you can think or ask. More than you can dream he wants to release onto your life. How many of you would consider yourself big dreamers? Come on, raise your hand if you think you're a big dreamer. That's awesome. Congratulations. Most people don't even think that they're big enough dreamers, so you're already a step ahead in the game. But let me just tell you that your penthouse dream doesn't even scratch the bottom of God's basement. Like your filet mignon idea of your life is nothing more than an expired can of spam for God. It's true. You, you have big thoughts and big dreams and big aspirations and big hopes, but let me just tell you something. God is trying to position you even now as I'm preaching. He's trying to get all the pieces ready in your life. He's trying to get the boats around you so that when you throw your nets, there is a harvest that you can't even contain. He wants to bless you more than you even think. God is setting you up for a win like you have never experienced. But your net is not currently ready for what he's going to do. Let me just tell you, when that blessing finally comes in that you've been praying for, it's going to disturb your sleep. I understand your, your sleep is disturbed now because you're praying for the blessing. But when you get the blessing, it's really going to mess you up. Because when you get a blessing that is bigger than the net you can carry, it will keep you awake at night. It will mess with your emotions. You think you're mentally unstable now? You just wait until you have a blessing that you can't, you can't manage. It's true. But it doesn't have to be that way. You, you understand that many people that come into money, suddenly they lose it all very rapidly and their life deteriorates and they lose relationships. Why? Because they didn't have nets to contain the blessings. You, you think I'm just pulling something out of Scripture, making light of it. The reality is get your marriage ready for a blessing. Get your family ready for a blessing. Get your house in order. Get yourself disciplined, engaged, so that when the windows of heaven come your way and that thing that you've been praying for, you realize you've had it all along. Your nets are ready for the fish that you receive. I love 
Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 6, 4 through 6. I know I'm a few minutes over. Can I have three more minutes? Yes. Thank you. My wife, she, she memorizes a lot of scripture. I mean, I, I do too. Uh, I'm a pastor. But um, in her childhood, I'm, I'm referring, she, she memorized a lot of scripture in the King James Version. How many of you have ever heard of the King James Version? Thou art saved. Okay? King James Version is like this old English. No one really understands it. The these and the thous and the wilts and the wows and the whatever, whatever. You know, who knows? But my wife, Carrie, she has all these scriptures memorized in the, the King James Version. And I like the King James Version, like, for fun, just to kind of look at it and compare notes and translations and all of that. Well, I happened to look at the King James Version in this block of text, and there's something I saw that I didn't see in the other version. So today, I want to share that with you in the New King James Version, verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, that's Jesus, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Anyone catch what I saw in verse 4? When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Everybody say nets. Let down your nets, nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Jesus said, give all you got, throw out all you got. And they said, we'll throw out one. Maybe that thing that that God is wanting to do in your life. God is saying, hey, are you all in? Are you ready to push all the chips toward the center of the table? Like, are you ready to stop having a backup plan, a plan B, a plan C in case B, a plan D in case C in case B? Are you ready to trust me completely that what I said I'm going to do, I'm going to do? If so, then cast all your nets. Because the thing I want to get into your boats is more than one net can handle. You, you've been mending your nets. You've been washing your nets. You've been preparing your nets. You've been throwing them out at night, hoping for things. Now when the word of the Lord comes to you, why hold back nets now? What's it going to hurt? Throw them all in. Give God the, the capacity to bless you so much that all of your nets are full. Point number five. There is power in partners. There is power in partners. I love when we started this service, Leander prayed to kick off the service. He didn't know, I don't think, what I was going to preach about, but he asked that the Lord would give us a grace to partner with what he wanted to do in our hearts and in our life. There is power in partnerships. You see, you look, you look at the partners that Simon Peter had, and they had boats. There were two boats there. It wasn't just Simon's boat. There were two boats. His partners had a boat. 
are the partners that you've linked up with, are, are they draining you? Or are they building you? Are they always expecting you to be the one that gives, 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 and they never give, give, give? You see, in a true partnership, it, I give, you give. I take, you take. We, we do this thing together. We build one another. That's what true partnership looks like. Partnership is not about me emptying myself so that you have all of me. Partnership is about us joining together in this give-and-take relationship. And I know that you're smart and you're great and you have so much to give this world. I believe that more than you think that you have. But if you're the smartest person in a room, you're in the wrong room. You need to surround yourself with people that can challenge you, that can see your blind spots, that can call you on some things, that can encourage you. Not just... Be there to take, to take, to take. It makes us feel good, though, doesn't it, when people just take, 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 and we think we've got all of this to give, but it doesn't feel very good at the end of the day when we're completely empty, alone, and isolated because we have no one standing there to pour back into us. There is power in partners. I love partnership. I love the fact that God wants to work through the people that I partner with. I love the fact that partners bring their own equipment and own boats to the lake. They don't want to just borrow mine. I love that because what God is wanting to do in my life and in your life is bigger than my boat can handle, bigger than my canoe can handle, bigger than my ship can handle. God needs you to be engaged with some partnerships. Partners are ready to lift some weight. You notice when the fish came in the net and the net almost broke, he called his partners over and they began to lift the fish into the boats. Partners want to lift some weight. I love, I love that you love me, but, but can you lift some weight? I love that you love my cooking, but can you, cush, can you clean some dishes? Right? I love that you love swimming in my pool, but can you pick up the broom and help me get the walls from time to time? Are you with me, church? I, I love that you love being my son and my daughter, and you love the benefit of sonship, but can you embrace the responsibility of it? I, I love that God wants to use partners to help us get exactly what he wants in our life. Oh, and by the way, I hate to disturb any of us, and this might disturb us, in, in this block of text, they lift the fish into the boat. You notice Jesus never carried a single fish. It was the anointing that got the fish into the net, but it was the partners that carried the weight. God wants to bless you, but Jesus will not carry the weight of your blessing. So get your nets ready. Get your... Nets ready. It's going to be beyond your ability to carry it alone because God these days is into building the body, not individuals. When God created the world, he intended to partner with mankind for all of creation. That's why he said for us to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to take dominion. It's a partnership. Creation is a project, not a product. 
I want to pray over you this morning as our team comes. Because before you ever can get the fish in the boat, you've got to push the boat out into deep water. You've got to go into deeper water than you currently are. Many of us right now have been allowing our boats to stay in the shallow water, but the Lord is calling us to deeper water. So, Father, we come before you right now. God, I thank you for the courage, the courage to invest in partnerships. Understand that we're not an island unto ourselves. You didn't create us, God, for it just to be me and you in relationship and to not be in relationship side to side with my brothers and my sisters. God, I need the partnership for the miracle and the gift and the production of fruit in my life. God, I ask that you would give me the courage to push the boat out into deeper water. That place, that place where I spent all night and I toiled all night and I caught no fish. Give me courage to try one more time again. Give me the courage one more time, God, just to trust you. I know, I know, God, that we've been hurt before, but one more time to, to trust you. One more time to open up our hearts. One more time to believe that you are capable of fulfilling what you said you're going to fulfill. God, make us brave. Make us brave. And this thing we think to be uncomfortable, God, make us brave. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand to your feet and let's sing this song as a declaration. A declaration that we're going to push our boats out into deeper water. We're going to allow courage to rise in our hearts. We're going to allow the Lord to make us brave this morning. Let's lift our voice.